me, uh, let me introduce myself. Um, so Mike Proud, and, and I'm the executive director for the Colorado Baptist General Convention. And um, I know it was said that this is kind of hard to get to. Everywhere that I have traveled this winter, we have had whiteout conditions, and I've come across a pass where my prayer life increased. There, there, was, there were moments. But it was great coming over this time. Over the last five weeks, counting today, we have been in this area three different times. And so my wife, Sally, travels with me, and she asks, who schedules your appointments? And I said, well, I do. <laughs> but it's great. It's great being with you. I want you to know that um, David Smith, your regional director, has kept us a, a, abreast of how we can pray for you at the convention office through this transition, and so we're certainly doing that, and we want to encourage you. Let me give you a little bit of my journey. Um, I grew up in Lafayette, Colorado, so Debbie Michaels, uh, she may have shared that she prayed during my rebellious years. Uh, Sally and I were saved at a little Southern Baptist church called uh, Mountain View Southern Baptist Church in Lafayette, Colorado. It actually has disbanded. It no longer exists, but that's where we met Debbie. That's where we got saved. That's where we surrendered to call to ministry. Um, Sally was a native of Boulder, which we referred to as 10 square miles surrounded by reality. (laughs) You'll get that. So after, after being saved, surrendering a call to ministry, I went to Midwestern Seminary out in Kansas City, pastored my first church in rural Missouri. God brought us back to Colorado, pastored in Aurora for seven years at Trinity Baptist Church. And then for the last 16 years, the Lord took us onto the foreign mission field where we served in Southern California. You get that. For six years, I pastored. And for 10 years, I was the director of missions for the Orange County Southern Baptist Association. In October of 2021, the convention voted uh, me in as the executive director, and so I took over uh, December 1, 2021. And since that time, last year in 2022, put on 50,000 miles on the car meeting with our churches. Because here's, here's my conviction. Every church is important. It doesn't matter its location. It doesn't matter its culture. It doesn't matter its language. It doesn't matter its size. Every church is intended to be the gospel witness in its community that God intends it to be. And so anytime someone calls and says, hey, do you have a free Sunday? The first one on the, on the calendar, I, I put it on and I go. And so we are grateful. You have a partnership together with 370 other Southern Baptist churches in this state that are seeking to reach people for Christ, that are seeking to see new churches planted in places where it is either the gospel is underserved or there's no gospel witness in those communities. You, because you partner together, you get to be a part of 3,650 3, missionary units on the International Mission Board uh, mission field. And, and because you partner together, we've been able to put regional directors like David Smith covering 10 of our 11 associations in the state. And so it's exciting to be a part of that. It's exciting to be here with you. It's exciting to share this morning on this Palm Sunday uh, what the Lord did. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this time that we can set aside and we can come together, especially on on a a special occasion like today, Father, where we know that that you rode, that, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing what was awaiting him, knowing what was, what was ahead of him. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lord, we celebrate that. And we pray, Father, this morning that as we look at this text, as we look at the text of blind Bartimaeus, that what we will come away understanding is not only the work that was done on our behalf, the great need that we had, but also the response that must come from us if true transformation is going to take place. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, and ask for your blessing upon our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The account for this morning is one of bondage and freedom. It's one of sight and blindness. And it encompasses the earthly ministry that Jesus came onto this earth to accomplish and what he was moving toward. This day that we celebrate, this declaration on Palm Sunday, is the day where Jesus rode into Jerusalem, meek as a king riding in on the donkey. But he came to give his life that we might live. I know it was read a little bit ago in Luke's Gospel, but I want to read out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. So I'm reading from the New American Standard. If it's a little different than yours, this is why. And I want us to look at verses 8 through 10 so we can see the importance of this day, Palm Sunday, that we're celebrating today. Starting in verse 8 of Mark, chapter 11, it says, And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The words that are spoken by the crowd as he comes into Jerusalem, the word Hosanna is an emphatic statement which means save us now. Now what we recognize is that most likely these people who were standing along the side of the road that were shouting Hosanna had no, did not have a full understanding of what they were really shouting. As they were calling out for the Lord Jesus to save them, most likely in their, in their understanding they were crying out for Him to save them from the oppression of the Romans. Because that's what a captive people wants. They seek They seek for deliverance. They were seeking most likely for deliverance from their physical bonds, from the oppression that the Romans were given. You know, in the Old Testament, there are both prophecies of Christ's first coming and of his second coming. Words like Isaiah 53 and these banners here would not have been words that the people of Jesus' day would have uh, affixed themselves to. Because after all, if you're looking for someone to deliver you, you're not looking for someone who's going to be nailed, someone who's going to be pierced through. You're looking for someone who's going to be a deliverer. And so many 
Many of the reasons why even Jews today don't identify with Jesus Christ as the Messiah is because they're looking for that champion warrior king to come. The prophecies of his second coming and they look past the prophecies of the first coming. But what Jesus did is spoken in the words just prior to our text where he's talking to his disciples in Mark 10 verse 45 and he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and then the foreshadowing of what he was going to do, and give his life as a ransom for many. The bondage that they were crying for freedom from was the bondage that he was going to deliver to them, but it wasn't what they thought. In fact, just as the first Passover lamb gave his life so that the firstborn could be saved in Egypt, So Jesus Christ is going to come give his life for the bondage that these people were in their sins. And while the hosannas that were shouted on that first Palm Sunday spoke to what he was going to do, nobody had in their minds understanding of what that really was going to cost him. You know, when we we think about Easter and Palm Sunday, and and I don't know what, what traditions are for you here, I always encouraged, when I pastored, and I pastored for 18 years, when I pastored in churches, we always spent time through Holy Week. Because it seems like we come to this celebration of Palm Sunday, and then we come back on Easter and we celebrate His resurrection, and what gets lost in the midst is the suffering and the agony and, the, and all that He went through in that week. So here's what I want us to focus on this morning, and we're going we're gonna to look at our text, but what I want us to think through is that while, while we come to, to Easter Sunday, we're celebrating what's transpired, and the fact that the Lord is risen, and all of that, it, it's, this is a celebration time, right? What I want us to think about with Palm Sunday is that there's a weightiness to Palm Sunday, because Jesus is facing that which has not yet happened, but he knows is coming. And yet he goes into Jerusalem anyway. The text that we're looking at this morning, though, is a text that that takes place probably 24 hours prior to the the triumphal entry. It's a text about a, a man who is blind, a man who is caught in bondage, a man who is is struggling, a man who is suffering. And Jesus is going to make an impact in his life. Again, probably 24 hours, Jesus is on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, an arduous 15-mile trek that, that ascended 3,300 feet over those 15 miles. It's the very setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you remember, the man who fell into robbers' hands, and he was beaten, and he was stripped, and he was, he was left half dead. But this text doesn't deal with the road to Jerusalem. Rather, it illustrates for us the purpose of Jesus' journey. Jesus' purpose was to go and make an impact into the lives of people by releasing them from bondage. Not the bondage they thought, but the bondage that they needed. And so what I want us to do is I want us to walk through these verses in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and I want us to learn the lessons that are there from the blind man. So let's look at these verses again together. I want us to look at the the first thing, the first lesson that we learn from the blind man 
is that God's love extends and is available to everyone. Look at the text, verses 46 through 49a. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were certainly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So let's look at this, this picture that we see. Folks, I, I want you to understand that the intentionality of the description for this man and his hopelessness is intentional, right? It's clear. This is a man who is blind. This is a man who is literally in bondage. This is a man who is on the the lowest rung of society in his day. In fact, let's look at a couple of those things. The first thing that I want you to notice is his address, Bartimaeus. Now, probably in your translation, it's capitalized as a proper name. But if if you're familiar with with Hebrew at all, you understand that the word bar literally means son of. So we look at this as a proper name, Bartimaeus, but in reality, his proper name's not really even given to us. He's just identified as the son of Timaeus. I mean, if you think about that, hearing your name called out has meaning, right? Someone knowing your name has meaning to you. And here this man is simply referred to as the son of Timaeus. So, so why is that significant? Because it lets us know that this man was of very little importance in his day. In fact, we even say this is a man that, that people might have looked at as disposable, dispensable, a person of no value. But he had value in God's eyes. And he had value in Jesus' eyes. He was a beggar which means he was bound in his infirmity. He, was a, he, he had very little to offer to society. He was a beggar. Someone had to take him and, and bring him to the place where he begged every day. He was a burden. And, and again, probably seen as a disposable person. And he couldn't do anything to change his status. He couldn't do anything to change his status. You see a parallel that exists between this man's condition physically as well as spiritually and our situation spiritually. We may think that we've got things in hand. We may think that we've got things figured out. We may think that we're successful. There are a lot of people in this world that think they're successful. They hold to their success. They hold to the things that they're able to accomplish and yet there is a peace that is unfulfilled in their lives because fulfillment doesn't come from what you can accomplish and what you can do because one day your strength will be gone. One day your health will wear out. One day uh, there may be a pandemic come. We experience that together where all of a sudden everything in its world's turned upside down. But the only thing that makes a difference that, that truly has an impact is what Jesus does for us spiritually. I want you to listen to the, the desperation of Bartimaeus' words. He cried out to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, of, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Now I want you to look again at the affirmation of this man as a disposable person in society. Someone who was of unimportance because it was says they were sternly telling him to what? Be quiet. What, what were they really saying? They were saying, listen, you're not worth the master's time. The master has more important things to do than spend time with you. And yet he continued to cry out, even more fervently. Jesus did what he came to do. He revealed how much God values each and every human life, how he longs to see those come into relationship with him. It was said earlier this morning, God doesn't need us, but he wants a relationship with us. He wants that relationship with us. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, who who was just recognized as Jesus, son of David, a messianic title, Here Jesus stands before this this blind man who again is a disposable person in society. Jesus stands next to him as the messianic king who is the most important person in Israel's uh, society. And he stands next to a blind beggar who would have been seen as the least important citizen in his Israeli culture. And there's that juxtaposition of this. Jesus demonstrates by his very presence in this man's life, by his very presence and coming to the man who called to him, that there is value in this man. It is, the, it is the fulfillment of what we've heard in John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous of passages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, it's the greatness of which God values human life. Those that were standing around looking at this encounter with Jesus and Bartimaeus would have said, this man has no importance. We're okay, but this man doesn't have any value. And the reality is the parallel and and, and the, the need for everyone is that everybody standing around Jesus at that point needed what Jesus was about to do. Amen? They needed it. And there was no way they could help themselves out of their predicament just like the blind man. And so we see this picture of who they are, who we are, who they are. And Jesus reaches out to this man and says, call him here. Those are words of hope. Call him here. You've been told you're of little value in society, but the Lord, the master stopped and said, call him here. God loves us. God wants relationship with us. God's love extends to everyone. Let's look at the second lesson that we have from the blind man. The second lesson is confronting humanity's greatest need, verses 49b through 51. Look what it says. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I want us to think about our greatest need. Once Bartimaeus had Jesus' attention, Jesus affirmed the man's value, stopping and talking to him. He asks him a penetrating question. What do you want me to do for you? I don't want you to hear that, that, that question as if Jesus didn't already understand 
this man's greatest need. But Jesus asks the question so the man will evaluate what it is he's really wanting. No doubt that he doesn't want to be in his, his predicament any longer, but there's a greater, deeper answer to that than just the physical healing that this man was looking for. I want you to hear that Jesus asked this question of this man. The man could have said, what I really want, Master, is money, right? Because he's a beggar. What I really want, Master, is food and clothing because it says that he has a cloak, but that's probably all the material possessions that he has. So you see the question that we must answer when we hear Jesus' words. What do you want me to do for you? There are many reasons why people come to Jesus. Many reasons. Some come to Jesus hoping that he'll fix their problems. Some come to Jesus hoping that he will bring them happiness or bring them fulfillment. Some come to Jesus for a variety of reasons. But the reality is that we must all answer that question. What is the greatest need that I have when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you that we might answer correctly and definitively the, thing, the question that he's asked before us? I want you to imagine that you've got a man who's addicted. He's, there's a person who's an addict. Before the addict can find help, the addict must make a confession. I have a problem and I need help. The addict that goes to help just seeking to appease maybe a court sentence is not going to find lasting help. An addict who is simply going to therapy because it will make my wife happy is not going to truly find help. An addict who goes to help or tries to seek help because that's what others think he should do is not going to find help because he's not really thought through what is the answer to that question. How does transformation take place? Transformation is something that happens from the inside and it works out. Everything else is behavior modification. That's not transformation. I can be a better person. I can do better things. I can try to behave myself. I can watch my language. I can do all kinds of things. These are behavior modifications. But unless the transformation takes place from a person who is broken and at their end and sees no other way out, there won't be help. And that's how we come to Christ, isn't it? The same is true with our spiritual condition. If we think that we can come to Jesus just for, for happiness, we'll never find it. Because, because that's not transformation. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Ray Comfort from Way of the Master. One of my favorite uh, evangelistic um, uh, approaches. Ray Comfort in the Way of the Master uses this idea of people coming to Christ for different reasons and tries to, to clear it away so that we really understand what it is that we want him to do. And he says, imagine that you are on a, a flight that's headed from Denver to Dallas. And you're on your way from Denver to Dallas and a, a flight attendant comes by and gives you a, a parachute and says, if you put this parachute on, It'll make you happy. It'll offer fulfillment to you. You'll enjoy your flight more if you do that. And so everybody wants to be happier in their flight. Everybody wants more legroom. And so he takes the parachute and he puts it on and he cinches it tight. And guess what? Sits back and it's not comfortable. 
And he can't sit back and he can't get comfortable. And when he walks down the aisle, he bumps into things. It's awkward. It's heavy. And before long, guess what that person does? Takes the parachute off and says, this is ridiculous. And throws it down and says, I'm never putting that on again. Now, imagine that same flight from Denver to Dallas. And the flight attendant comes by and says, we've got engine problems and this flight is, is going to crash. This parachute will save your life. I guarantee you that 60-pound parachute is still just as uncomfortable to wear. If that person were to get up down the aisle, it would still bang. It would still, they couldn't sit back. They, it, it doesn't make them happier. But nothing in the world will cause that person to take that parachute off. In fact, if anything else, hold on to it tighter. Why? Because the parachute is going to save their lives. We don't come to Christ so that we can be happy and have peace. We come to Christ because we are sinners, lost and dying, and in need of a Savior. Amen? And that's the picture of how we come to, to Christ. Yes, does Christ bring fulfillment in life? Absolutely, but once we come for the right reason. In Mark chapter 10, just a few verses above our text, verses 35 through 37, Jesus has this conversation and ask this very same question of two of his disciples, James and John. And look what he says. Verse 35 of chapter 10. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What an audacious question. We want you to do for us whatever we think is best. And he said to them, here's that question again, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we should sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. These men were padding their future. They were looking for those positions in the cabinet of the new government that Jesus was going to set up when he went into Jerusalem. That was their thinking. But here, Bartimaeus is in a different position. He's not looking to pad his future. He's looking for transformation. And so here the scripture teaches us, unless we are willing to lay everything aside, we cannot come to receive what Jesus' death provided for us. That is the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. So to each would-be seeker of Jesus, the Savior stands and here asks this question of all of us. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Have you really understood your need? So let's look at the third lesson from the blind man here. And it's the evidence of a sincere heart. I want you to look at the sincerity of Bartimaeus. Starting in 51b, it says, And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now there's some unpacking of that that we have to do with the text and the language that's, that's listed there. What we see in this is that the, there are many evidences of the sincerity of this blind man in his request to Christ. But we understand that sincerity alone is not the answer, right? Because there are those people who are sincerely wrong in what they believe, according to Scripture. So it's not just sincerity. 
What we see of the blind man was the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah who came to set him free. Messiah is the understanding here. He had already evidenced that understanding when he called out to Jesus by saying to him, Son of David, that's a messianic title that he gave to him. He truly believed Jesus alone could heal him of his blindness, but now listen to this, but bring spiritual healing to him as well. Now, I want us to look at what that means. See, the, the, the man's willingness to turn his back on all that he had, we see that in verse 50 where it says, when he called him, in verse 50 it says, and casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. The cloak was probably only physical, only worldly possession that he had, and he, and he tossed it aside because having Jesus was more important than his material, his material things. And here's an important detail. The man came and he ran to Jesus. The term Rabboni often is translated as teacher, but there's, a, there's a, a, uh, an emphatic here where essentially what the man was saying is my master. Not just teacher, master, but my master. He said, I want to regain my sight. The man, this man stood with a greater understanding of who Jesus was in this text to this point than most of his disciples. And we could even say any of his disciples really understood about what Jesus was, who Jesus was, what Jesus had come to do. And here's what we understand. When it says that go, Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well in verse 52, there's more to it than just physical healing. In fact, the word, the root word sozo, which is translated made you well, really means saved you. If you've got a study Bible and you look in the, the center reference or in the bottom reference, you'll see that in verse 52. There's, a, there's a, an asterisk or a number that says saved you, literally saved you. But how do we know there was spiritual transformation that took place in this man's life? Not just physical healing. It follows to us at the end of verse 52. Because when the man came and, tr- and transformation took place in his life, it says, and he began following him on the road. That's the last verse in chapter 10. What's the first verse in chapter 11? And he was going to Jerusalem. Jesus was going to die. But there's more to it than that. Because literally, the translation of entehodo, which is the Greek phrase that's translated on the road, literally means in the way. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, Christians were identified as belonging to the way. This is the picture of discipleship. Someone who lays everything they have down in order to follow the master. That only happens when true transformation takes place. And so here this man is given that he was going with Jesus. Where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. And this man came to follow Jesus to where he's going. It's a picture of discipleship. Those things that Jesus, that Jesus was headed to is where the disciple is headed to. He surrendered his life. It's for us to surrender our lives as well. The illustration given to us by, the, by this man who was once blind is that his faith allowed him to see who Jesus was before his eyes were ever opened. In the language that he used and the words that he called out to Jesus, it's clear that he understood who Jesus was before that, that, um, 
the healing ever took place. The only way for us to be a part of Palm Sunday celebration, the heaviness of Palm Sunday, the direction of Palm Sunday, the understanding that everything now is laid before you and what's coming is gruesome, is for us to walk in faith in the direction and the way that Jesus is going so that we might be able to cry out, not as the crowds that stood there looking for relief from oppression and relief from bondage physically from the Romans, but that we cry out Hosanna and calling save us now is the confession that must come from the one that does not know Christ yet. This is how salvation comes to us. This is how we we come. Not save us from our situation, not save us from our problem, not save us from our difficulties, not save us from those. Save us from our sin. Because only Jesus can do that. And that's the picture of Palm Sunday. That's the direction. That's the, the image that this blind man had. He was once blind, but now he sees. And you, and, and you know that the term see means more than physically see. It means to understand. And now I understand. And now I see. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that, Lord, there are those perhaps in this room, but all around us that do not know who Christ is, do not know his love for them, do not know the the work that he did. They actually have very little idea of what happens inside these walls. We know that culture is moving further and further away from uh, any kind of recognition or familiarity with, with Christ, with the church. The stories, Lord, that we are so familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, Noah in the ark, are, are lost more and more and more on our world all around us. And Father, you have called us people who have come to that place that were once blind and now we see to the, be the ambassadors that go out into the world and throw the seed of the gospel far and wide and trust you with the results. It's not our job, it's not our role to to bring anyone to salvation. Lord, you do that. You bring about the transformation. But our job is to be those that point the way. May we be faithful in doing that, Lord. And if there's one here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, may, may today be the day where they walk away and say, I once was blind, but now I see. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross, for what this day represents, that we might gather again next week and truly, truly shout, He is risen, He's alive. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.